So we heard just a few minutes ago this outstanding news of a sister whose tumor was uh, removed, we believe, that, it, that, that God provided. We heard on Sunday about um, you know, one-month-old Jax who was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, and yet when he goes back for test after test, they go, wait a minute, it's not there anymore. We hear those stories and we go, wow, isn't our God good? And we're like, yay! But then... If you've lived beyond just a couple of years, then you've also heard the other side of that where you hear about someone who has dealt with lifelong depression and they're in this downward spiral and no amount of prayer, no amount of help, nothing seems to take it away. We hear about the stories of the mom who has not one, not two, but three miscarriages. We, we hear the stories about family members who... Uh, the church that I was a part of for so many years in Nashville, I hear, I get the call years ago about a couple in our church whose children were in an airplane crash. One burned alive, the other one comes across the field aflame saying, my, do- my sister's dead to her, his parents. And you go, God, why? And, and here's the thing that I never want us to do as a church. I never want us to play church, to never pretend that everything is okay when it's not okay or to ever feel like there are questions we can't ask as a church. Here's what is toxic to faith. You ready? What is toxic to faith is not having questions. It is having questions you are unwilling to ask and address. And what happens to so many of our young people, but I know they're not alone. So many of us, if we're honest, struggle with this as well. But what happens with so many of our young people is they grow up and they hear parts about God. But they're not given the full picture. And often they come to faith in a moment of, and, and I think it's genuine, but it's a moment of emotion. And so they believe that following Jesus automatically is like a trip down the yellow brick road to a pot of gold. Everything's good. It's rainbows and puppy dogs for the rest of their lives. And then they go to college. And they find out it's not really that way. So what I want to do as a church is I never want us to lie about the difficulty of this world or ignore the questions that really address that, that we face. So here's here's something I'm just gonna be I'm gonna lay out for you, and if you'll be kind enough to allow me this, I'm just gonna commit that as long as the Lord allows us to be here, I will speak as honestly and as biblically as I know how about the things that we face as a church. Is that okay? Can I do that? Okay. But then you need to help me. If you have questions or concerns that you won't sit on them for years, but you will find someone, find me, find someone far more qualified like one of our elders, find a friend, but you wrestle with the Lord. Even if you don't get your answers, don't you quit looking. Because I believe that our God is too good and too big for us to ignore the questions that we face. Make sense? So with that said, we're going to dive in, and I have... Um, about 35 minutes. We may go five minutes over. Bear with me. But I want to run through uh, some ways of understanding unanswered prayer. Now, when we talk about prayer, we often do so in the vein that we're doing on Sunday morning, what it is, how to do it, uh, why it's important. And those are all good, but we want to also address this side of prayer. Now, here's why this is such a difficult topic when we talk about unanswered prayer. Because it seems as though Scripture says whatever we pray will actually come the way that we pray, right? 
Let me give you a few examples. You may want to jot just these references down on that sheet of paper. Let me take you to John 14. We don't have time to turn there, but I'll just read these. This is John 14, 13 through 14. And if you want to come up afterwards, I'll give you these notes. Um, This is Jesus, and he says, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Okay? Anything in my name, I got it, I'll do it for you. John 15, 7, if you remain in me, Jesus says, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now John 15, 16, Jesus again, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that, and so that, quote, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Are you guys seeing a theme here in what Jesus is saying? And then he goes on in John 16, verse 23. He says it again. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Five times in three chapters, Jesus says you ask, God will give you whatever you ask in my name. Now I'm going to ask you a question. I think we all know the answer, but I'm still going to ask you to respond. Is Jesus Christ the one that we serve and have paid allegiance to, the one in whom we are entrusting our eternities, is Jesus Christ a liar? Yes or no? Good answer, okay? He is not a liar. But, next question, does everything, every prayer, every desire that you request God, is it always answered and always answered the way you want it to be answered? Yes or no? Okay, so what do we do with this? By the way, you're not alone in having a prayer go up in one way and yet go a different way than you wish. Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, and by the way, Jesus was fully God, fully man. We will deal with what that means for it. It, The technical term is hyperstatic union, okay? We'll get into that at some point, but here's the bottom line. Jesus is God, amen? Uh, That's not convincing. He's God, right? Okay, but when he came as a man, it wasn't just to play pretend like I'm sort of, I'm really God, but I'm pretending to be a man. No, he came fully God, fully man. It blows our minds, but this is what the scripture teaches. And when he, the night before he died, in anguish for what he was about to experience, what did he pray? Do you remember? Take the cup from me. Now, he does say, not my will, but your will be done, right? But what is his desire in that moment, church? Remove the cup. That wasn't pretend. That wasn't play acting on his part. So understand, if Jesus is perfect and we believe he is perfect, if Jesus is God and we believe he is God, if Jesus is a truth teller and we believe he's a truth teller, then what do we do when we pray and we believe or feel as though God is not answering those prayers? That's the issue, right? So what I want to do is walk you through... um, I just want to walk you through basically 15, and we're going to do this quicker than I wish we had time to, but we're going to walk through 15 sort of reasons or possibilities for unanswered prayer. Now, uh, let me recommend a great resource to you. Uh, There's an author by the name of Pete uh, Gregg. It's G-R-E-I-G-G, I I think, but I think it's pronounced Gregg. This is adapted from his book. It is outstanding. I had it for about 15 years sitting on a shelf before someone said, you know, you should really read that one. And so I did. And they were right. It was good. So much of this comes from that. 
uh, and a few different lectures. Uh, one, and I'm forgetting some of the different people, but one was a lecture by a guy named John Mark Comer. Uh, and there's a couple others, uh, uh, Tim Mackey. I just want to give credit whenever talking and borrowing from other people's uh, content. But here's what you need to know. This is a resource that I would highly recommend. The book is called God on Mute. It's in the footnote on your page. Look it up on Amazon. I think it's $15, but a great resource. This is the cliff notes to that book. But I found it eminently helpful and far more adequate in communicating the breadth of reasons than I would be able to do on my own. So let me just sort of walk through the overarching ideas here. Now, before we get into this, one thing, I think the easy answer to, wait a minute, Jesus says, ask anything, but not everything works out. The easy answer to that is simply, oh, well, he said pray in God's will or in the name of Jesus. Well, maybe it's just not his will that this happened, or maybe it's that, you know, or you didn't do it in his name. And that's an easy one for most of us, that sometimes we ask for things and they're not necessarily in line with God's will. That's an easy one. But what do you do rather when it's like, God, this is so obviously a good, just, right thing. What do we do then? So we're going to walk through those. They're divided up into three categories. I'm going to go ahead and put all three up here. Each have five reasons under them. So the first one is God's world. If you want to jot this down. The next one is God's will. And the last one is God's war. These are three categories uh, for helping us understand why certain prayers either are unanswered or seem to be unanswered or are not answered in the way we might wish. So let's just start here with God's world. Reason number one, we'll just kind of walk through these very linearly. Reason number one is simply this, and I love what Peter says, the, the author, he says, it's just common sense. He says, one reason that prayer is not answered, if you want to write this down, is common sense. Common sense. Is it true that sometimes we ask nonsensical prayers, church? Have you guys ever been driving late at night? You are about out of gas, and you're in the middle of nowhere. What do you begin to pray in that moment? Dear God, let there be a gas station somewhere in less than two miles, right? I mean, you just, and what do you expect? That God's going to open heaven, drop a gas station in the middle of a cow pasture? Okay, so sometimes it's like, oh, he didn't answer my prayer. I'm stuck out here without gas and all. Okay, maybe the issue is not the prayer, but the prayer. Some things are common sense issues. I don't have time to develop some of these as much as I wish just because of time, but jot that one down. The second one is this. In God's world, the second one would be, well, contradiction. Contradiction. Right now in the world, there's seven point, what, three, five, something like that, billion people. And at any given moment, including right now, Millions of them are praying to Yahweh, to our God. It stands to reason that many of those prayers are going to contradict one another. Let me give you some silly examples to make the point. How many of you have been circling a parking lot begging the Lord for a parking space because it's raining really, really hard? Now, imagine that you're not the only one, but there's another Christian who also is praying for a space, who goes to Clear Creek as well, and you're both praying, and one car leaves its spot. Only one of you gets the spot. God answered my prayer. God didn't answer my prayer. Now you're dealing with an existential life crisis because you didn't get a spot. It's a contradiction, right? How about this one? A bride is praying for good weather on her wedding. 
And a few miles away, the farmer is begging God for rain because it's been a drought. Okay, do you see how, okay, I'm praying, but, so in God's world, common sense is one, another one is contradiction. Let's keep moving here for time. Third one is laws of nature. And I know some of you are saying, this doesn't sound very spiritual. It will get there, just hang with me. But third one is this, laws of nature. Do you guys notice that there are some consistencies in nature? Like right now, we're not floating because gravity is constant. Now, it's a little, little stronger in certain parts depending on how, what your altitude is and some of that. I get that, you science people. But in general, gravity is constant, is it not? We have weather patterns that move in generally consistent patterns. That's how you can have weather people, meteorologists, tracking weather systems and predicting with increased accuracy what's going to happen one, two, three, five, ten days out because of the systems, the laws of nature. And so here's the reality. To ask God to intercede is to ask him to override, often to override, the laws of nature. And we say, well, yeah, of course. That is called a miracle, is it not? A miracle is when that which is not normal happens, that God intervenes in a special way. One thing that many of us don't realize is sometimes we will ask for God to intervene in a particular way, never realizing, this sort of plays back with contradictions as well, that sometimes my prayer for God to answer it will have other, for me, unintended consequences on others. And so God creates a stable system that usually works, but it's also laws of nature. Let me give you just a little bit more here. Number four, life is, and I, and I want a good hearty amen on this one. Are you ready? Life is hard. Amen? Life's hard. Everything's going well, and then something happens unexpected. Life's hard. And this shouldn't surprise us, but it, it does for many of us. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 20 and 21. He makes this point that creation was subjected to frustration, that right now um, we don't worship nature. Nature's not alive in the way that you might think of with uh, the Disney cartoons and Pocahontas or whatever else. But somehow creation itself is groaning. Thank God, how long until you liberate me from this, this oppressive bondage that has been caused by sin? How long, O oh Lord? Nature itself is broken. Can we agree that nature is not how it ought to be? You don't even have to believe there is a God to look around and say something's just not right with the world. That this world is broken. And in the West, in America, we have come to believe that life, although it is hard, we have come to believe that life ought to be what? Easy! I remember, um, and I say I remember, I've heard the story so many times growing up when my older sister Megan was maybe three years old. She, uh, th this was right after microwaves had been made. And so dad comes into the playroom and Megan's next to the wall goes, boop, 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 ding, boop. And he goes, well, what are you doing, sweetheart? She goes, I'm making dinner on the microwave. And he's like, what? You know, this is incredible, this technology. And so it's just normal for her that you can put something in 30 seconds later. It's nice and warm. How many of you remember when it actually took some work to make dinner? Okay, some of you are going, I still make dinner the right way. God bless you. You and my wife both. But we've come to believe because of all the conveniences that life ought to be easy. And when it is not, we go, what is wrong with the world? Here's what's interesting. Many of you have gone to other parts of the world 
And in those parts of the world, they assume life is hard and it ought to be hard. That's the way it is. And when it is easy, they thank the Lord because that is amazing but unexpected. And what most of us, I remember a friend of mine who uh, was interacting with a missionary from Africa, and I forget which nation, I think it was uh, Uganda, but I could be wrong there. And they were talking and the man from Uganda said, here's the difference between the Western Christian and us. He said, in the West, you pray to God to lighten the load off your back. Here, we pray God to strengthen our backs. Because we expect life to be easy. But here's what's interesting. The Bible never claims that this world is going to be easy. Okay, let's just, ready? Bible majors, here we go. Finish this quote from Jesus. In this world, you will have Trouble, tribulations, difficulty. Even Peter gets in on the action when he writes this in 1 Peter 4.12 by saying, do not be surprised at the painful trials you face as though something strange were happening to you. The idea is this is a broken world. So we ought not be surprised that it is hard. I'll tell you when life won't be hard anymore. When Jesus comes back and the sky splits and he comes our hero in white. That's when it won't be hard anymore. All right, number five. God's world, it's common sense issues, it's contradictions, it's laws of nature, it's life is hard. These are all multiple reasons why prayer may not happen the way we wish. Number five, and this is an important one that I think most churches today ignore and neglect or disparage, and it's this one big word here, it's word doctrine. Doctrine is just a fancy word for what you believe that, uh, about God, what you believe about religious things, the spiritual side of life. And doctrine, some people or some prayers are unanswered because of our picture of God. Let me just kind of explain this. Again, so you take life ought to be easy, add it to a picture of God that God is our cosmic bellhop. I pray he does what I want and no, none of us would say that but most of us have mainlined that, that thinking from our culture. So you take life's hard and that God is not doing everything we think he ought to do, and this is why so many people have crises of faith when they hit hard times, because they have a weak view, an incomplete view of God. They have poor doctrine. This is why at Clear Creek we are going to do our best to make Scripture accessible but we are not going to dumb it down. We are going to deal with things because we want to have a rock-solid foundation on which to stand in this world. So doctrine, let me give you a couple things on this. Um, This was a comment that I heard that I thought was just fantastic, that many prayers are aimed at maintaining the middle-class American dream. And interestingly enough, Jesus never taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, my American dream come, my Tesla come, my six-figure salary come. No, he didn't, he didn't teach us to pray that. And so when we pray wrongly or understand wrongly, that's when we set ourselves up for heartache in the prayer department. I think we need a theology of suffering and a worldview that suffering is never God's will. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But it is a reality, this side of Jesus' term. Now, there are beautiful moments when God steps in to protect you or me, when he, he fixes that which is wrong in the moment. 
but those are merely glimpses of the future to come. Now, do you guys remember the Old Testament story of the three buddies, also known as the three amigos? Uh, If you are a parent of young children, they're known as Rack, Shack, and Benny. If you're someone who didn't grow up with VeggieTales, then there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember their story in Daniel chapter 3, right? Captives in Babylon, giant statue, everyone's supposed to bow down. When the music plays, they don't. The king gets mad, says, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. They say these words. I love this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, I'm, I'm sort of picking here, God is able to deliver us from it. But even if he does not, do you hear that? You throw us in, he will provide, he will take care of us. But even if he does not, notice their statement here. We will not worship the image. Here's what I've, no- I've learned about my prayers, is they often reveal that I don't worship God, but I worship the thing I want from God. And I have a weak doctrine sometimes that I think God is to give me what I want instead of to draw me ever closer to him for eternal relationship with him. So, those are the five here. Let's walk through now God's world, God's will. There are five more, and I'm sorry. If you have questions, we'll kind of dialogue more after this. But number six, moving quickly here. One thing before we kind of explain this, let me sort of categorize this. God's will is simply asking the question, how does God's will interact when other wills are at work? Do you remember Jesus' phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done where? On as it is in in heaven. Now here's the thing. Jesus is assuming two very important facts. Number one, he is assuming that God's will is always done perfectly in heaven. He's also assuming that God's will is not always done perfectly on earth. Otherwise, he would have taught us to pray, thank you that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to recognize that God in his grace has given us, I'm jumping ahead, but some free will here that he does not sometimes co-opt. There's multiple wills at play. So there's four categories. If you want to jot this down, this is a side note, but you might want this. There are four types of wills. There's God's will. He has a will. He has a desire. He has a way of making that manifest or happening. Then there's the second one, which is the second category is human will. So I have a will. And I have a body. You know, Larry, I've got these arms and these legs. I've got this body to attempt to enact my will. Anyone who has a two-year-old knows that everyone has a will, even if they're very small. Everyone wants certain things. So there's God's will. The second category is man's will or humankind's will. Third one is spiritual beings have a will. We believe, Scripture is clear on this, that there is a God, but there's also angels and demons. There are malevolent forces, those who are not bigger than God, but they are bigger than us, who have a will of their own. And then the fourth one we might call um, that nature has a will. And again, I don't mean that in sort of animated, sort of it's alive, you know, but, but more of that there are laws at play, things that are, happen that we work within. So God's, ours, spiritual beings, and nature. So the question is, and by the way, I want to be real clear. This, what I'm about to share, there is widespread disagreement, and I'm really okay if we don't agree on this one. It's really okay with me. There will be some who have what is called a, and we can get into the doctrine later on this, but a high sovereign view of God. What that means is that God is 
sovereign ruling in charge of everything that happens and nothing that happens can happen without him um, for certain allowing it but some go so far as to say for him without him causing it to happen so there's that view there's the other view that says that god is sovereign but he has given us free will to do what we want and he's given spiritual beings free will hence satan's rejection and rebellion of god right so I tend to lean towards that God has given us free will, that he is absolutely in charge, but in love he has given us free will. So if you don't agree with me on that, that is okay. We can talk some more later. But regardless of where you stand, the real question is, how often does God override people's will? That's that's a real question here, right? So let's just kind of walk through this. Number one, God's will. The first reason that maybe your prayer is not going answered the way you want is just simply this, free will that you and I have free will given by God and many of us pray prayers that are at their core asking God to override another person's free will think about it you pray to God for a wayward child God change them bring them back do something to change their will and we'll talk a little bit more about this in a moment but that is a free will issue. Now, does God change people's will? Yeah, there are moments in Scripture that seem to indicate that God does step in and change will, but those are the exceptions, not the rule. And here's why. If you want to finish this phrase, when we talk about the core of who God is, we say that God is what? Love. Love to be love, and for love to be a relationship, for my wife and I to be in relationship, requires choice. That if I went to Lindsay and I said, pulled a gun on her, said, okay, now you're going to marry me, and you're going to love me, and we're going to have kids, and she'd have pulled a gun and shot me first is what would have happened. But, but that would not be love. That would be coercion or a dictatorship. Understand that God does not lead by force. He leads by love. And that does mean at times he will allow us to make bad choices. So I pray for someone. God will not always override that person's will, but give them the freedom to choose what they want to choose to do. So that's sometimes the reason. Let me give you a couple more here. Number two, number seven is the word influence. Influence. And this goes with free will. Let's see, how are we doing on time? Got to move. So here's the thing. Studies show, and there's a lot of this in psychology and sociology, that there are two ways to get people to change. One is by control, like force. The other one is through influence. And what every study is showing is that long-term change is far greater when it is uh, precipitated or encouraged by influence and far less effective long-term when it is forced. That if you can influence someone, if you can encourage and conjole and draw them in, that is far more effective than if you force them to do something. They call this soft control and strong control in a more technical term. Here's the bottom line. God is always, always, always desiring love relationship with us. And he tends to use influence over brute force and control. Even in Scripture, when he does something miraculous, a brute force moment, notice he is not forcing someone 
to do something different. They may die in the process, but he's not twisting their arm. God is a God who wants to woo us like a lover, to be closer and to draw near to him. And so he does that through influence. Now, this is why you may be praying right now for someone, and you see no change. You see nothing happen. You're like, God, don't you hear me? God, don't you hear me? And I think if he could speak to you tonight, he'd say, I hear you. You don't see all the things I'm doing right now that are slowly leading this person back, but I want them to come because they love me, not because I'm twisting their arm. So we'll get into this in a few moments, but listen to me, church, don't give up praying because just because you don't hear God's answer yet doesn't mean that he isn't working right now. All right, so number eight, we've got free will, we've got influence, and number eight is God's best. And this is the idea that unanswered prayer may be because God has something better, so God's best. And this, again, is not intended as a cop-out. This is just another possibility here, of course. How many of you, by the way, are country music fans? Anyone here? There's that wonderful old song, and because this is being recorded, I will not sing a lick of it. But the words go something like, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking. Right, that whole thing, okay? You guys remember this, Garth Brooks, unanswered. Okay, how many of us, I mean, I, come on. How many of us have things that you prayed for um, as a school-aged kid, that you are so grateful to God, you did not get. Anyone in here going to be honest tonight? I mean, I, I, case in point, I remember there was a girl I had been dating for a year. I thought this was the one. Everything she broke up with me, broke my heart. I won't even tell you the embarrassing way that I behaved for a while thereafter. And I remember going, "Why don't you love me, God?" And I'm so glad He loved me more because then I met Lindsay. And, and, I mean, she's, she's just the best thing. In fact, one of the first things that, that she ever said to me, I, I remember we were, uh, there was open dorm night at Lipscomb University. This is the one night or a couple nights a year they do this, and it's just, it's sacred time. Guys get to go in a girl's dorm, and I mean, supervision completely. But I'm in her dorm, and I brought her a flower, and I said, you're the closest thing to an angel that I've ever met. And I'm expecting this moment where the strings start playing, you know, and And she looks at me, I look at her, and she goes, is that a recycled line? (laughs) So God also has taught me humility with her. So that's a gift. But there are are times where God has something better than what we might ask for. And if we only got what we asked for, we would miss out on some beautiful gifts from God. Amen? All right, let's move on here. By the way, I do need to say this. I'm sorry. Two things here on this point. Number one, sometimes God has something better for the world as well. It may not be better for you in the short run, but it's better for the world. And you and I may have to eat the cost for the sake of far more people. So when I say God's best, I need to be clear. It doesn't just mean your best. But we are a family. And God often says, I love my whole family. I mean, for heaven's sakes, he sent his son for his family. Let me say one other thing. This is why it's so dangerous to moralize or to, or, or to label experiences as good or bad as soon as they happen. You know how we, we like to do that? Oh, that was a good experience or that was a bad experience. But how many of us 
a few weeks, months, or years later had labeled something a bad experience, but it is the thing that catapulted and changed you to a point that you are a different person today, and you now say, it was painful, I don't want to go through it again, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. So this is why we need to be thoughtful about labeling things as good or bad in the moment. Okay, moving on. Number nine is motive. This one's obvious. God's will. James tells us that, hey, sometimes the reason we don't get what we want is because we don't ask, and then other times we don't get it because we ask with what? Wrong motive. It's amazing that not just what you ask, but the motive of the heart matters to God. We don't have time to dig in deeper, but one of the things that happens when God does not answer certain prayers or in the way I want or as quickly as I want, sometimes what it does is it forces me to go back and look at my motives. And in that, God's going, good job, that's what I wanted. Let's fix the motive. We'll address this. I mean, I'm going to answer it, but I want to deal with the heart because I don't want to just be a gumball machine that gives you what you want. I want to make you like my son, Jesus. So motive. And number 10 is relationship. And this is the idea that sometimes you may not get an answer to your prayer in the way you want or as quickly because God himself is greater than what you are asking for. Here's what I mean. And I'll put this up there for... Here's what I mean. Relationship. How many times have you not had something answered the way you wished and it just took longer to deal with and you found yourself in that season drawing closer to God because you had nowhere else to turn. There are seasons in life where God will allow us to go through things because he's saying, this is what will draw you to me more than anything else. Church, hear me now. There is nothing more valuable than nearness to God. And if that is absolutely true, then if we lose everything on this earth, it is worth it if, if it draws us to the heart of God. I remember in, two, in 1992, my dad went in for quadruple heart bypass surgery. I will tell you, because of that and the thought that at any moment he could drop off and have an issue, it has made the past 27 years far more beautiful. He is my best friend in part because I thought I would lose him. And so we said, this will not be, we're not going to just kind of take moments for granted. Here's the reality. Sometimes God will allow me to experience things because he says, I want you to want me and be with me more. And if I take this away, it's ultimately so you can have something of far greater value. Okay, here's the final category. Time's up almost. We'll move through this quickly. If you need to grab kids, please do so. Uh, the rest of you, you're welcome to stay because I do want to finish this tonight. Is that okay? Can we do that? Okay. The last one is God's war. And in this one is the one that if you were a conspiracy theorist, this would be your category right here. This one is simply that sometimes unanswered prayer has to do with spiritual beings. All right, you ready to have your mind blown? There's this moment in the book of Daniel. Most of you know where I'm going with this, where Daniel is praying to God, and he asks God for an answer, and God doesn't give him one. Not for one week or two, but three weeks he prays and fasts for an answer. And finally, an angel shows up to Daniel. Daniel says, where have you been, dude? I'm hungry. That's the Josh Diggs translation. And he says, I've been working my way here, but the prince of Persia, not the really bad Disney movie that came out a few years ago, but the prince of Persia, a spiritual being, came up and opposed me and I was detained, I was just able to get free to get to you now. 
Okay. We can talk theology all we want. You can argue all you want with it. It's in the scripture. Go home and wrestle with that one. That there are spiritual beings that are given free will and for some reason God has allowed some amount of autonomy so that they can oppose and actually slow down certain things. Now again, and I'm just going to be real frank, I grew up in the churches of Christ like many of you. I am far more comfortable with the rational than the emotional. It's just the way I'm wired. And so when I read this, I want to, I want to find all the reasons why that cannot possibly be the case, and I'm trying to proof text it. Here's what I found. I can't get around that passage, that there are spiritual beings at war with that which is good, right, just, and pure, and they will do whatever they can to oppose God. Quick question, though. Will they be able to ultimately oppose our God? No. Look, they're fighting a losing war. The, <laughs> the war is won, the battles. It's just some skirmishes that are left, but they're fighting. So let's walk through these real quickly here. Reason number 11 for unanswered prayer is satanic opposition. Satanic opposition. I believe that Scripture is absolutely true when it says that there is a malevolent being that was once in the presence of God but because of his own or its own pride, rejected God, rebelled, fell, brought with him other fallen angels who now are fighting against us and all that is good and pure. And here's the thing. Some people will not buy that. That is okay. But here's the reality. If you do not have room for Satan in your theology, do you know who becomes the devil in your theology? Other people. It's the other political party. They're the, there's what, they are what's wrong in this world. It, it, it's, it's the different races. Oh, that's what's wrong in this world. Or it's, or it's the people of different um, socioeconomic sets. It's they're what's wrong. It's people of different religions. That's what's wrong. You go through it, and if you do not have space for the supernatural, you will always put people in the place of it. And this is where we begin to demonize one another. But Paul will say our battle is against What? It's the principalities, the rulers, the dark forces of this world. It is not against flesh and blood. So, satanic opposition, number 12, faith. All right, I don't like this one, I'm going to be honest. But some prayers are unanswered because we just don't believe that they will be. Now, I need to be real clear I had a dear friend in Houston, a good man, who got to the point of believing that if you just believe enough, God will always answer, and if something doesn't happen, it's just lack of faith. Um, and, and a bunch of us said, hey, brother, that is, that's not in Scripture. That's, that's just not there. Because if that were the case, did Jesus have faith? What happened to him? He died. Uh, what about the 11, or excuse me, the 10 apostles who were executed? Did they just not have enough faith in the risen Jesus? So you begin to ask this question, and then my friend, and I, I, it breaks my heart, he then contracted cancer, and then he began to think, oh no, I just don't have enough faith. So let me be clear, this is not the only possibility, but sometimes we are told that we do not receive because we do not have faith. And this is why sometimes when there are sick uh, people in families or whatever, we will not ask families to necessarily pray so much, but we'll bring other people in because it's amazing, when I see a family member in crisis or in sickness, I sometimes doubt the possibility that God can take care of them. 
I need. But did, did you know that there's a spiritual gift, the spiritual gift of faith? That there are some people who have just this, this measure of belief that God will do what God can do, and I want those people praying for me, don't you? So faith, let's, let's keep going here, 13, 14, 15, and we're going to be done here. Number 13 is perseverance, perseverance, P-E-R-S-E-V-E-R-A-N-C-E. Okay, here we go, perseverance. Here's the idea. It's not that God has said no, it's just that not yet. Some prayers, you think, man, I've been praying, I've been praying for, for a week. Yeah, it, it's not a no, it's just not yet. Well, it's been a month, not yet. A year, not yet. A decade? Not yet. I know of people who prayed for their lost friends for decades. And one man prayed for his lost friends. One of his lost friends came to faith 54 years after he began praying and two months after he died. Perseverance. Some of us here just simply need to continue on. I love what one guy says. He says that a delay is not... Is not I can't read tonight. A delay is not necessarily a denial. So until you know for sure that God has said no, stop asking, you just keep asking. Until he says stop it, I'm telling you no, you keep asking. We need people who will persevere. Number 14, simply sin. Sin hampers our prayers. It just does. And it's not because God won't listen. It's not because God doesn't love you or doesn't like you. Remember, it was while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he loves us. There's no question. But there are times God will not answer a prayer because there's sin we've yet to deal with, and he wants to deal with the cancer that is robbing us of life. And so sometimes it is sin. We could talk more on that, but time is too tight. Finally, is reason number 15 is simply this, justice. And I know that in our culture, this word has been so twisted and broken that some of us hear that and we go oh great here comes the political side no 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 no. justice is a good thing who wants justice in this room you want justice for yourself actually i want mercy but that's another story (laughs) if someone harms you do you want justice yeah if there's an inequity you want justice right did you know that scripture teaches that when we turn a blind eye to injustice god often turns a blind ear to our prayers I'm going to read for you one passage. We'll call it a night. And next week, I want to follow up with a bit of uh, maybe just what do we do next? And uh, hopefully this will be helpful for someone. But this comes from Isaiah 58. And I want you just to hear these words. Isaiah 58, verse 6 through 9 says this. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cord of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And I think about what you guys are doing, James. I mean, that's, this is beautiful, man, because that's what you've done. You've helped someone. He goes on to say, and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see their nakedness, to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then, notice this, it's an if-then statement. This is what God wants, the kind of fasting and kind of petitions. He says, but then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Verse nine, then you will call. That's just another word for pray. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help 
and he will say, here am I. It's amazing. God wants us to take care of one another as well. Now, these are 15 reasons. They're, this is not an exhaustive list. There's more probably we could put up here, but here's what I want you to understand. What, tonight, if you right now, and I just need to say this, if you're struggling because you've been praying and you don't know why God's not answering, you're like, you're like oh no, well, which one is it? Listen, it could be any number of things or it could be multiple things. This is not to discourage prayer. This is not to cause you to go, oh no, what do I do? And we'll get into that next week, how to kind of take the next step here. What I want you to hear, though, more than anything else, is you do not quit praying just because you do not hear immediately from the Lord what you're asking. There are any number of reasons why it may be slow to come or why his answer may be what his answer is, but he is a good father. Throughout Scripture, we are taught to pray, Our Father, he loves you, he died for you. Do you think he will now ignore you when you ask him for help? No. So pray. And know that even when you don't get the answer you want or in the time you want, he hears you, he loves you, and there's a day when it's all going to work. I love you guys. Thanks for being here tonight. Talk to you Sunday.